Welcome to the official podcast for Triumvir Clio's School of Classical Civilization. I'm Beth, aka Triumvir Clio. Hello again. Welcome back. I'm glad that you're still with me. I'd promised Cheerio material ahead, but we still have a lot of Euripides to get through. <laughs> but not today. Today is a comedy day. And this is one that I can still see being uh, funny to a modern audience, um, if the director and the cast is right, obviously. As with much of Plautus, I'm working from the Henry Thomas Riley translation again, um, but when I was looking for background information beyond what Riley provides, I decided to click on that always most reliable of sources, Wikipedia. Um, I didn't find any new background information, but I did find a cast list. Yay! It's the little things. Um, this is another play from later in Plautus's career, um, but that's about as much of a date as I can give you. Uh, there's a lot of it that is very Roman, so of course it is set in Athens. Um, there are two houses on stage, uh, Phrenesiums and Straybaxes, and as far as who they are, well, here we go. Phrenesium is the local friendly prostitute. Astaphium is her maid. Um, Phrenesium's clients, or prey is probably a better word as we'll see, include um, Diniarchus, Stratophanes, and Strabax. Uh, Stratophanes um, is our braggart soldier character. Our clever slave is the titular Truculentus, and he is owned by Strabax. And uh, Chiamus is Diniarchus's cook. Uh, to round out the plot, we have a father by the name of Callicles. Um, his daughter is important to the plot, but she is unnamed and never appears on stage. Callicles has two slaves, Syra and a maid who has lines but no name. So <laughs> one with a name, Syra, and one with no name. Um, that maid, yeah, she's, she's the sort of character I've spent a lot of time playing in my uh, acting career. Anyway, uh, the play is missing some sections, um, but it's not, not missing enough to really lose the thread of the plot. It's not like there are these, if there are big chunks missing, they don't affect anything. Um, so with that background, uh, we'll take a short break before going through the plot. The play begins with an unspecified actor providing the prologue. Uh, they ask the audience if they're willing to leave their pleasant city, Rome, of course, and go with Plautus to Athens. Of course, the audience agrees, and in that case, let the stage become Athens. This house here belongs to Phrenesium, and she does her best to get every last penny out of each of her lovers. Right now, she's trying to convince this soldier that she's just had his baby in order to get the last of what he has, and, and what more is there to say? And with that, the prologue ends. Or else the rest of the prologue has been lost. But nonetheless, it's enough background to have some idea of what's happening when the play starts. Diniarchus enters. He soliloquizes about how love ruins men himself in particular. And it's all because of Phronesium. And now that all of his money is gone, she's moved on to someone else, this Babylonian captain in particular. And now that doesn't mean that the captain is Babylonian. He's Greek, of course, but he's a mercenary. Um, so he works for the Babylonians, but he's Greek. Anyway, 
Frenesium is telling him that she's pregnant. Um, like Diniarchus wouldn't have noticed that she was pregnant. He sees someone coming and recognizes that it's Astaphium Frenesium's maid, and he hides. Astaphium enters from Frenesium's house. Before she can exit on her errand, Diniarchus step- stops her. Astaphium says that Phronesium will be pleased to see him, but she still loves him. Diniarchus isn't so sure. He's heard she just had a baby. Astaphium reassures him that it's not his baby, it's the captain's. He's on his way here, in fact. But Diniarchus is practically family, so he should still go inside. He exits. Left alone, Astaphium laughs at the folly of men. She tells the audience how Diniarchus has spent his entire fortune on Phrenesium before expounding on all of the traits that make for a successful courtesan, all of which Phrenesium, of course, possesses. Her latest target is Straybax, the young man who lives next door. It would be easy, except he has this servant. Astaphium knocks on the door. Now, in the Riley translation, the next part is a bit confusing. He states that Stratilax enters. Astaphium then has a conversation with Stratophanes. Now, <laughs> I will confess that I was reading this at my parents' house and had a lengthy conversation with my father about Latin declensions of proper nouns, accompanied by a surprisingly lack of eye-rolling from my mother. Good on her. What it boils down to <laughs> is that Stratophanes or Stratophanes, i pronounce it both ways sometimes, um, is not a declension of Stralax. The two names have nothing to do with each other. And not to mention, it is not Stratophanes who enters. Um, it, we already know. So he's the braggart soldier character, Stratophanes, right? Um, he does, he's not on stage. Um, from what I have been able, been able to glean from other sources, uh, Stratilax is another name for Truculentus, our title character, um, and Riley calls him Stratilax for some unknown reason. Um, so, if you are trying to follow along with the Riley translation, we're going to make an edit right now for you, all right? Replace each instance of Stratophanes in this scene with Truculentus, and suddenly it all makes sense. So, Astaphium knocks on the door, and much to her chagrin, Truculentus enters. He is the only man that Astaphium is unable to charm with her womanly wiles. She tries to flirt with him, and he rebuffs her. He is going to do everything in his power to protect his master's son from Phronesium, and at least in this encounter, he is successful. He exits back into Straybax's house. Astaphium decides she should go home, but before she gets there, she sees Diniarchus entering from Phronesium's house. Diniarchus complains that Phronesium is taking too long at her bath, and Astaphium gives him a hard time for being impatient. She exits into Phronesium's house. Diniarchus wonders why Astaphium had apparently gone nowhere on her errand. He decides she must have been waiting for the captain. The door opens and Phronesium enters. She teases Diniarchus about having been afraid to come inside, and they flirt, and she tells him about her plans to dupe the captain. She's ordered her maids to find an infant that she can pass off as her own. But she still loves Diniarchus, or so she tells him. Um, but she will love him even more if he can lend her a hand in her deception. He agrees. She exits back into her house. Diniarchus tells the audience that he still loves her and believes her, and, and he'll send a little more money because, you know, money, that's his love language, and that's her love language even more importantly. <laughs> and he exits. Phrenesium enters. 
a child has been procured. She tells the audience that now she must play the part of a woman who just had a baby. She directs her servants to make preparations for the appropriate sacrifices so that she can put on a good show when the captain arrives. Then they all wait. Stratophanes enters. For real this time, as opposed to before when it was really truculentous, but Riley assigned the lines to Stratophanes. He tells the audience that, unlike all of the soldiers who make themselves sound greater than they are, he tells the truth when he speaks. But the reason he's in Athens is to see his girlfriend. It's been about mm, 10 months since they saw each other, and she was pregnant. So he's come to see their baby. Phronesium puts on a good show, using Astaphium as a go-between because she's just too weak from childbirth to speak directly to Stratophanes, at least as long as he's on the other side of the stage. Eventually, he crosses and tells Phronesium about all the gifts he's brought. First, there are these two female slaves that he captured in Syria. Phronesium scoffs. New slaves? Seriously? Does he think the female slaves she already owns aren't good enough? What does she need with more slaves? Well, in that case, maybe she'll like this scarf. A scarf? Are you kidding me? What kind of a present is a scarf? Stratophanes hurriedly sends all of the gifts he brought away and tries to figure out what he can give Phrenesium to win her love back. He steps aside as he thinks, I mean, we all know what she wants. She wants cash, right? Anyway, Geta enters. I didn't mention Geta in the background because, well, this is another weirdness in the Riley translation. He's really Caiamus, Diniarchus' cook. And later we'll see Diniarchus actually calls him Caiamus. It it is, this translation is so weird. I, I don't, I don't understand Riley's decisions. Anyway, so Caiamus enters. He is leading a train of slaves with gifts from Diniarchus. Phronesium happily accepts everything. Caiamus asks who that other man is, and Phronesium explains that he's the father of a child. Caiamus is unimpressed by the figure the soldier cuts, which of course is a great insult to Stratophanes. Um, there's a bit of verbal sparring that leads to some actual sparring until Caimus uh, cries uncle and exits. Phronesium announces that she's had enough and goes back into her house. Stratophanes does not like this one bit and tries to knock down her door. After a few unsuccessful attempts, he and his attendants exit to come up with a different plan. Strayback centers. His father has sent him out to buy cattle feed, but instead he's decided to give the money to the woman he loves more than his own mother, Phronesium. He knocks on the door to her house, and Estafium enters. She is thrilled to see fresh prey and invites him in. He exits into Phrenesium's house. Once again, Riley writes that Stradilax enters and then gives a bunch of lines to Stratophanes. Uh, but once again, that is not at all what happens. Um, so... In fact, what really happens, Truculentus enters. He is looking for Straybacks, who should be home from his errand by now. Astaphian sees him and tries to run away, since Truculentus is, again, the only man she is unable to charm. He promises to be nice. He even has money for her. Astaphian tells him that Straybacks is inside. <laughs> she convinces him to go inside with her, and they exit. Diniarchus enters. He's excited because Caiamus tells him that Phrenesium prefers his gifts, money, to those from Stratophanes, which you'll remember were more slaves and um, a scarf. <laughs> he's decided to keep watch on the house until he's certain that Phrenesium is all his. Astaphium enters, speaking over her shoulder to Phrenesium about the latest man they're about to ruin. Diniarchus asks her who that is, and she tells him about Straybacks. Diniarchus is 
furious. How dare Phrenesium, and by extension Astaphium, find another lover? Astaphium manages to escape his rage and goes back into the house, slamming the door in his face. Deniarchus tells the audience that he'll get his revenge. Why, he'll sue. He sees Callicles coming. Callicles happens to be his ex's dad, so of course he hides. Callicles enters along with his slaves. He is particularly upset because his daughter has just had a baby, and now his grandchild has disappeared. Sira explains that they might have given the baby to Phrenesium, who passed the child off as her own son. Deniarchus overhears all of this and knows exactly what has happened. He steps forward, falls to his knees, and begs Callicles for forgiveness. He promises to get the child, his child, back from Phronesium and to marry Callicles' daughter as he was supposed to, um, which is how she got knocked up in the first place. Callicles agrees, as long as this all happens immediately. Callicles exits. Phronesium and Astaphium enter. Phronesium asks Deniarchus what's wrong, and he tells her that he'll explain later. In the meanwhile, he tells her to give him the baby. Phronesium insists that she's not done with her plot. Deniarchus says that he'll be back. He exits. Astaphium sees Stratophanes coming, and Phronesium and Astaphium exit into the house. Maybe. If so, they don't stay there for long because they return as soon as Stratophanes appears. Uh, He tries to make amends with new presents. This time he's brought Phrenesium's favorite gift, cash. (laughs) Phrenesium gives the money to Estafium, who exits into the house with it. You know, they're not taking any chances. Um, Straybax then enters, looking for Phrenesium. Stratophanes is understandably surprised to learn that Phrenesium has a new young lover. Phrenesium justifies it by explaining that Stratophanes hasn't given her anything. I mean, sure, he's brought some child support, but that is to feed the baby, not her. Straybax and Stratophanes practically come to blows over who loves her more and who has the better gifts to give. Phrenesium is tickled by this one-upmanship and tells the audience so. Then she tells the audience to applaud for Venus's sake. After all, this play is for her. And now it's over, so stand up and clap. say that after dealing with the weirdness of this one of Riley's translations, I am really looking forward to another Douglas Parker translation. (laughs) Unfortunately, I think we have a few more plays before we get to the last of what I own of his Plautus translations, and then a lot more of Riley before we finish Plautus and move on to Terrence. Um, So I hope that you weren't too confused reading Um, Given the fact that the electronic versions, um, at least, of Riley's translations keep putting Stratophanes into scenes that he is not in. I, I don't, I don't know what was going on in his head when he wrote that. Anyway, um, as we've seen in other Plautus plays, uh, he is terrible at endings. (laughs) And honestly, this one is even worse than most. There is this whole slapstick thing going on when Phronesium just then turns to the audience and says, isn't that great? You should clap because the play is over. Um, A joke we, and by we, I mean um, my fellow triumvirs and I, like to make is that the Romans really wanted to be Greek and stole everything from the Greeks and just did not do it as well. (laughs) They're all second-rate copies of, of 
Greeks. Um, now, of course, it's hard to know whether or not Plautus is a second-rate copy of the Greek plays he translated and transformed into Roman comedies um, or not, um, because we don't have the original Greeks to compare them to. But just given um, other aspects of Greek art and the Roman copies of it, statuary is largely what I'm thinking of right now, I, I do have to wonder if the Greek, the Greek originals were better. Um, or... Another thought, maybe the Greek endings were lost already by the time Plautus was writing. And so he didn't even know how the plays were supposed to end. So he just, maybe he just ended them where the surviving Greek texts left off. Um, anyway, uh, moving, moving on. This, this is in some ways one of the darkest of Plautus's plays, at least as far as what it has to say about human nature is concerned. Um, Everyone in this play is out for something. Uh, money, mostly. Phrenesium is only interested in her clients because of what she can get out of them. And specifically, as long as it's in the form of cash, we see uh, Stratophanes trying to give her non-monetary gifts. And she doesn't want anything to do with them. She only wants money. Um, and Astaphium is happy to help. I mean, she flirts successfully with everyone except for Truculentus, and, and they kind of wile each other in their last scene together. Um, and and even once Diniarchus figures out that the baby is his son, <laughs> Phrenesium still manages to hold on to it until she no longer needs it. Um, I mean, the end of the play, she still has the baby. Diniarchus has said, I'm, I'll come back later and get him. Um, but I guess you can keep using using my kid to get money out of this captain. Um, I mean, there are few redeeming features in any of the characters in this play. At the same time, there there is little in this play to tie it to a specific place um, in time. So I can see that it could still be rather funny to a modern audience. Um, and I have posted a couple of videos on the blog from a production done in modern dress. So if you were directing today, is that the decision you would make? I mean, so why or why not? I mean, with any with any so-called period piece, I mean, doing Shakespeare, do you do it in Elizabethan dress or do you do it in modern dress or somewhere in between? What is the, there is, those decisions should be made with a reason. You shouldn't just do it because, oh, I think it would look cool to set this play here. Like, that, why are you setting it there? What about that play speaks to that place and time? So the same would be true for this. But I do see that it could, it would still make sense outside of a Roman representation of ancient Athens. Um, I also found this delightful website <laughs> where somebody has made a blog <laughs> as though Phrenesium, Stratophanes, and Diniarchus were writing about their actions and feelings. Um, and it's all very modern. And it is, it, it, it made me laugh. Um, so I put a link to that on the on the blog. Um, because I, if you're a nerd like me, then you will you will find it find it funny. Um, but anyway, so unlike, unlike some of our other plays, back, back to what I was talking about, unlike some of our other plays, um, especially those where uh, female characters and women are largely sidelined um, if they're present at all. This one feels like it could have been written more recently than, you know, the first or second century BCE. 
Um, so what, what do you think? <laughs> I'd love to hear your thoughts on what this play has to say about people in general, um, women in particular, how you would choose to direct it today. Uh, pop over to the blog and share your thoughts. It's at triumvirclio.school.blog. The URL and maybe a link are in the show notes. On Wednesday, we will read book 15 of The Odyssey. Talk to you then. You can join the discussion of this and everything covered in this podcast by following the link in my show notes. And if you're enjoying what you've heard so far, please consider supporting the show with a monthly donation of your choosing, just like public radio. And please also consider giving a five-star review on your podcatcher of choice so that more people can discover the fun that is Triumvir Clio's School of Classical Civilization.